this was a bad idea. There are no Easter carols like at Christmas. There's no way this is going to work. On the Sunday of Easter, my Savior gave to me a neighbor sitting in church with me. We are going around the neighborhood singing Easter carols to invite people like you to join people like us for Easter Sunday morning services. Yep, and Dave here thought it was a good idea for us to dress as Easter characters. It was a committee decision. Anywho, this Easter we have some of your favorite memorable characters, like the guard at the tomb. Do that soldier thing. Surely this man was the son. Tell him who I am. Tell him. Seemed pretty self-explanatory. Did it? Because your text read, and I quote, wear a pilot costume. I did not mean an airline pilot. I meant pilot, the Roman governor who had a pivotal scene with Jesus when it came to the crucifixion. Would you like to come to Easter services with us? Yeah, yeah, I'm pilot. Pilot, washing my hands. I will have nothing to do with this innocent man. Yeah. Oh, oh, boy. Huh. And I am Malchus. I am a servant of the high priest Calliope. Nobody knows who Malchus is. Um, and I was in the Garden of Gethsemane when Peter cut off my ear. <laughs> oh, we're losing him. Okay. Oh, 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 one, two, and a three. Just sit right, right back, back into hear a tale, a tale of a sacrifice. He rode into Jerusalem, and Peter denied him thrice. <laughs> Please join us for Easter. A flossing donkey, and that's what we're looking for this morning. Hey, for real, April 15th, April 17th, in just a couple of weeks, it is going to be a fantastic time. April 15th, right in here, Good Friday, we are going to remember the sacrifice of Jesus Christ at 6.30. There's going to be child care for zero to five. We would love for you to be there. We are going to engage your senses. We're going to take communion together. And more importantly, we are going to remember the sacrifice of Christ. And then a few days later, we're going to be right down the road at the Ice House Amphitheater at uh, 8, 9.30, and 11. So the time changed just a little bit to get three services in, 8, 9.30, and 11. We'll all be down there for a fantastic time to celebrate the fact that Jesus Jesus has risen again. So that's what we're going to do. I hope that you will uh, will join us. And more importantly, just like the video said, maybe not in that uh, over-the-top kind of way, but invite some neighbors, invite some friends. We'd love for them to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Awesome. Uh, if you got your Bibles, Ephesians chapter 6, we, we wrapped it up. I can't remember when we started this thing, but it was, uh, you know, October, November. We have been plowing our way through this letter to the Ephesians now, and today we get to the final few verses, Ephesians chapter 6. While you're turning there, I don't know if you're familiar with Stranger Things, the wildly popular show on Netflix. Uh, Stranger Things probably has drawn all kinds of of interest, and because of its its setting in the 80s, people who were raised in the 80s look at it and say, wow, right? I mean, it even kind of looks like Star Wars from the logo. You got Winona Ryder, who is this big 80s actress, and then you got all of that kind of stuff. But on top of it, there's the paranormal. And sci-fi always seems to, to draw a crowd, and so Netflix plays on that. There's this good 
and there's this bad in, in Stranger Things, and the bad is paranormal, it's supernatural, it's, it's got some wildly demonic, dark feel to it. And the story starts pretty simply. There are four fellas. They're middle school around the ages of 11 and 12. You got Will Byers and you got Mike and you got Lucas and you got the fellas and they're playing Dungeons and Dragons, this, you know, classic 80s game. And Will goes home and Will goes missing. And season one is all about trying to find Will Byers as Will has now been taken into what they're going to call, his buddies are going to call the Upside Down, a parallel universe where Will is not just, just captured, but it's dark and it, it's evil. He's alone. He's lost. He's under the control of what the, his, his middle school buddies call the Demigorgon, right? A, a character from, from Dungeons, Dungeons and Dragons. And so Will is there and he's He's going to die without help. So there's something about this Stranger Things, not just because it's in the 80s and because it's paranormal and because there's a good guy and a bad guy. I think there's something about all of us saying, man, what would it have been like if we were 12 years old and we had something wildly, desperately important to go get? Like we, they have to save Will's life. And they're going to get on these bicycles with flashlights and baseball bats. And they're going to go try to take on the, the evil of the world. And they're going to find out they're going to need much greater help than that. Kind of sounds like us, doesn't it? Maybe something wildly important for us, desperately important. For people who are lost and alone and outside of Christ in an upside down, if you will, going to die what the text says lost the consequences of sin is death so i think paul in ephesians chapter 6 these last few verses is telling us we are a part of something desperately important desperately important let me read it to you i'm going to read the the passage in its entirety it starts in verse 10 he says this finally be strengthened by the lord and by his vast strength Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the tactics of the devil. For our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers and authorities and against world powers of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavens. I mean, clearly right off the bat, Paul is saying there is this, this realm, it's unseen, there's some evil, there's some darkness. I even think he's probably given us somewhat of a hierarchy of these, these demonic spiritual beings that are hostile to us. When he says rulers and authorities, I don't think he's talking about like governors and presidents and, and, and dictators. I think he's talking about an unseen hostile realm. He already said it. We are not going up against flesh and blood. So as we read this, there seems to be something desperately important for Paul as he lists these out. He believes them to be real. Let me say that again. He believes them to be real. He just got through talking about husbands and wives and parents and children. And then at the end of this, he's going to name Tychius in verse 21. He rattles off powers and rulers and darkness and spiritual beings just like they're anybody else. This is incredibly real to Paul. 
And at this point, we begin to feel the weight of it, especially when he talks about tactics, the devil battle. Verse 13, this is why you must take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist in the evil day and having prepared everything to take your stand, something we stand here for, stand against. Verse 14, Stand therefore with the truth like a belt around your waist, righteousness like an armor on your chest, and your feet sandaled with readiness for the gospel of peace. In every situation, take the shield of faith, and with it you'll be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is God's word. Pray at all times in the Spirit with every prayer and request and stay alert in this with all perseverance and intercession with all the saints. You see these, this language? Desperately important. Perseverance, resisting, standing, flaming arrows are being hurled at you. And then he says, hey, pray also for me, verse 19, that the message may be given to me when I open my mouth and make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel For this, I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I might be bold enough in him to speak as I should. And I think he has in mind as he is in prison, writing this letter to a group of people he spent three years with. He's saying, will you pray for me? Because I'm going to stand before the emperor and I'm going to give an account and I want to make much of Jesus Christ. Pretty cool, isn't it? So, man, I don't know about you, but you probably have a ton of questions, and there's no way I'm going to answer all of them this morning. No way at all, but I'm going to give it my best shot. Are you ready? Let's take a, take a good hard look right up there at the beginning. It says that there are spiritual forces, darkness, hostile to us. So, truth number one is this, is that there really is an upside down. There really is an unseen spiritual world full of hostile beings. really is. It it couldn't be more true. The hard part for us is we rely primarily on physical sight rather than spiritual insight. We rely primarily on our eyes instead of seeing and perceiving these spiritual forces around us with a spiritual insight. Now you might be asking, where'd they come from? What do they do? How do they rank? Which ones are which? Who's the devil? What about Satan? I heard about demons. How does all this work? What about those in relationship to authorities and powers? All right, you ready? Here it is. This is my Cliff Notes version of spiritual powers and beings. There are two families, two families in scripture. The first family is a spiritual family. We see it often. We don't know really how it started other than we know that God has been preexistent for all time. And we know God exists in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. We also know that the spiritual family involves angels and, and cherub and seraphim. Again, we don't have all of the history on when those beings were created, but we know they are there. There is this clear spiritual family that God has. The family that we're most aware of and we know the most about is the one that starts in Genesis 1 and 2, which is the physical family, the family mankind. Humanity, when God said, I'm going to make image and 
our image and in the image of God, he created them male and female. And we enter the scene as God's family. So there are two families. And in the Garden of Eden, we see that those two families overlap. Because there's a rebellion that takes place. It actually takes place long before Genesis chapter 3 when this devil, Satan, snake starts talking to Adam and Eve and says, why don't you eat from this tree that God told you not to eat from? It actually starts before that. If you're taking notes and you want to read some, some scripture about the initial rebellion from the spiritual family, Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28. That would be the initial rebellion that took place before Genesis 3. Where there was this cherub who looked at God and said, you know what? I want glory and I want to be worshipped and I'm not real keen on your plan. And we call this, this arch enemy of God, Satan and the devil. And he falls in rebellion against God. And when God makes man, us, in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, he says, you know what? I'm going to take them with me. Not only am I going to be in rebellion, not only am I going to rebel against the glory of God, but you made these little creatures down here called humans. And guess what? I am going to take them with me. I want them to rebel against you. And that's exactly what happens in Genesis chapter 3. We call it the fall. And in Genesis chapters 1 through 11, there are multiple rebellions. There's this weird passage in Genesis chapter 6 about sons of God having children with daughters of man. That's a rebellion on both ends, right? Then you got Genesis 11 and the building of the Tower of Babel so that they could become like God. The rebellion continues and continues and continues. And they are hostile. Let me be clear. These spiritual rebels do not have our best intention in mind. They want to rob God of his glory. You were created to bring glory to God. And every time a spiritual rebel causes us to not bring God glory, they're winning. That's what it is. They're hostile to us. Let me show you a couple of passages. Listen, I, I just had to trim passage after passage. I, I could read this stuff for days, right? It's all throughout your Bible. The ancients saw it. I just am only going to give you a few. They're going to be on the screen here. The first one is going to be Isaiah 21, 24. Isaiah, or excuse me, 24, 21. It's going to say this. Talking about the day of the Lord when judgment is had. He says, on that day, the Lord will punish the host of heaven above and the kings of the earth below. Fascinating passage. Why in the world would he, why would, why would he want to judge these hosts of heaven and the kings? The kings are the ones doing all the bad things. The kings are the ones who are invading Israel and, and not being just and oppressing the widow and doing all these bad things and worshiping other gods. But what we have in this passage is that these hostile spiritual beings aren't just in the background, but rather they're helping animate evil even at its highest level. I, I, I know surely this doesn't come to a surprise to you, but we all know like Hitler doesn't come up with all this stuff on his own, does he? Right? But there's 
spiritual forces driving evil and wickedness in the world, even at the highest levels. You say, man, I don't know, man. that, That seems real far from me, Russell. That seems real far from me. Well, that's not what Ephesians chapter 2 says about us. Look at what it says in, in verses 1 through 3 of a book we, of a, just a chapter we looked at not too long ago. He says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, which you previously walked according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler who exercises authority over the lower heavens. Before we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, guess who our ruler was? A spiritual rebel. So before we go to thinking, no, 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 they're not that involved. Oh, no, no, they are. And that's us. That's us. He says, it's according to the ruler who exercises authority over the lower heavens of the spirit, now working in the disobedient. And we too, all previously, lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts. And we were by nature children under wrath, as the others were also. Before Jesus Christ, that is who we were, animated and followed, following a spiritual rebel to keep us from bringing glory and honor to God. Now, I know we don't like to think about that. I, I know that is, is, it can be dark and feel that way, but that is the truth. There are spiritual rebels. They are hostile to God and his glory, and they want to take us with him. The great thing is this. You say, well, Russell, I thought Jesus won it all. He did. <laughs> Let's get to the good news. Are you ready? The good news is, is that the war is over. The battle is still raging. The war is over. So next week, spoiler alert, John's going to stand up here and we're going to start a little mini-series called The End because everybody's worried about the end in Russia and China and all this. And guess what? Here it is. Don't tell John I said this. Jesus wins. (laughs) The war is over. The war is over. Jesus Christ was sent here. And here's the great thing about it. Are you ready? We call Jesus the God-man. He is 100% God and 100% man. He has to be that. Why? Because there's a spiritual family and a physical family. And Jesus came to this earth, born of a virgin, lived a perfect life, preached some amazing things about this new way of life, following him. He cast out demons, authority over the spiritual. He healed the blind and raised people to life, authority over the physical. And then guess what he did? He died on the cross. Three days later, he rose again to have victory over sin and death and all that the spiritual rebels are here to bring. He wins. Let me show it to you just to make sure. Thank you. That's great. You bet. Let me show it to you again, just to make sure. Colossians, I don't want you taking my word for this. Colossians 1, verse 13. He has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the son he loves. That's what God has done for you through Jesus Christ. He rescued you from the domain of darkness and brought you in to the one that he loves. That's Jesus We have redemption and the forgiveness of sins in Christ. 
Colossians chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. He erased the certificate of debt with its obligations that was against us and opposed to us, and he has taken it out of the way by nailing it to the cross, death of Jesus. Next verse. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and disgraced them publicly. He triumphed over them by him, Jesus Christ. Not, I mean, those are back to back. Back to back. One is your rescue and the other is the condemnation of spiritual powers. It's amazing, isn't it? I know we just like to read the first verse because the spiritual stuff, the demon stuff kind of gets us weirded out, but it's true. It's true. I could read more. I'm, I'm going to stop here. I'm running out of time already. So Jesus Christ has won the war. We are in a battle. We are in a battle. You say, well, why do these demons and hostile spiritual rebels, why are they still attacking us if they know they've lost? Why are they still trying to draw us away from God if they've already lost? Great question. It's just like someone on an athletic field and they're losing by 20 and they give a cheap shot. It's just a cheap shot. They know they've lost. They know there's nothing they can do to change their destiny, so I might as well take as many of you with me as I can. Just might as well take as many of you with you. Ruin as many marriages, ruin as many relationships, damage as much as I can, because once he comes back, it's over. I'm done, but while I'm here, the battle rages, and I'm taking as many as I can. And I'll tell you what, they're pretty stinking good, aren't they? pretty good so that is what paul is saying here when he says these rulers and powers and authorities they're hostile toward us they're hostile to god they're hostile to us but not only has god won the war but he's equipped us to engage the battle he has equipped us to go about our daily lives in such a way that we can engage it, perceive it, understand it, resist it, and stand against it. That's what he's done. So let's go back to verse 10 in Ephesians chapter 6, and let me walk through it here. Verse 10. Finally, be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. Now, typically in verse 10, this is one you want to hurry up and read over because we want to get to the the armor of God, and we want to get to all this stuff, but man, I, I need to hang here just for a moment. He says, be strengthened by the Lord, and how are we going to be strengthened? Where does our power come from? His vast strength. And what is the vast strength of Jesus Christ? The fact that he died on a cross and three days later rose from the dead. I don't know about you. I got no one else that I know of who predicted their death, said they were going to come back to life, and actually did it. I'm with him. Anybody else with me? I'm with that guy. I'm going to follow him. I think he's got it, and clearly he's got a strength that I don't have. Really important. In Stranger Things, they get their makeshift walkie-talkies and baseball bats and flashlights and headlamps. Like, they're going to go get something. They're going to get nothing. And if you go after this on your own strength and on your own accord, it doesn't work. 
We need something far greater than us. What is it? How are we going to be strengthened by his vast strength? Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the tactics of the devil. Those of you who are raised in church, probably like myself, I grew up in a Baptist church, and it seemed like once a year you're going to get a children's sermon, VBS, or something on the armor of God. Anybody with me? It's fantastic. I remember it. Incredibly important. This is how I learned it. I learned the armor of God as a title. Put on the armor of God. Like it's a title of a book, or it's the title of a section. It's the title of what this is. And I don't think that's it. There's something that gets lost in the translation. Look at that little word of there. Those of you who mark in your Bible, circle of, and that word of is a apostrophe S. God's armor. It's possessive. It's not just the armor of God like, you know, um, it's a title. And and we don't walk around nowadays saying, hey, I'm going to go over to the house of Russell. We don't do that anymore. We say, I'm going over to Russell's house, and he's saying, put on God's armor. Now, that's pretty cool, isn't it? I got several visions here. I can't give them all to you, but I want you to imagine this. You go to your favorite sporting event. You get there. It's a professional football game, and Odell Beckham Jr. is coming off the the field after a big win, and he starts pulling his gloves off. You've seen them do it, right? And what do they do? They chunk them into the stands, and some little third-grade boy grabs those gloves from Odell Beckham. And what's he going to do on Monday? He's going to show up to the the schoolyard. Look at here. Let's play, guys. Look what I got, right? Can you imagine going to a basketball game and Steph Curry is lit it up, he's done his thing, and he takes off his shoes, and there's a little fourth grade girl over there, and she get, he gives them to her, and she's going to rec league, right? And she's wearing some size 16s, but she's ready to drain them, right? Doing the gritty with those, those curries on, right? I mean, it's just amazing the way we think about that. Or Trout gives a bat to somebody, and he shows up to a baseball game on the weekend, Can you imagine the confidence that's given to you when you're wearing Odell Beckham's gloves or Curry's shoes or you stand at the plate with Mike Trout's back? Can you imagine that? You have been given the armor of God. Crazy. Crazy. God's armor. Now, you sit back and say, well, where does God ever use that armor? Great question. We'll put them up on the board here. Isaiah 59, Isaiah 52, and Isaiah 11. I know all the time we're like, oh, it's a Roman soldier, Roman soldier. Remember, Paul was a Pharisee. And Paul would have known his Old Testament. And when Paul knows his Old Testament, I think he's thinking about these things, not just a Roman soldier. Let me show them to you. Isaiah 59. I'm going to read them to you here. Try to as quickly as I can. Isaiah 59, starting in verses 15 to 20. Truth is missing, and whoever turns from evil is plundered. The Lord saw that there was no justice, and he was offended. So God is looking out. He sees there's no justice. Bad things are happening. And so this is what he saw. He saw that there was no man, and he was amazed that there was no one interceding. So his own arm brought salvation. His own righteousness supported him. God says, I'm going to do it. And look at what God does. 
He put on righteousness like a breastplate, helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing, and he wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. Now, we get a lot of these, but we don't get vengeance in the zeal part, right? Those are God's. We get the other ones. So he will repay according to their deeds, fury to his enemies, retribution to his foes, and he will repay the coastlands. Why? They will fear the name of Yahweh in the west and his glory in the east, for he will come like a rushing stream driven by the wind of the Lord. The Redeemer will come to Zion and to those in Jacob who turn from transgression. This is the Lord's declaration, a divine warrior passage wearing this armor. Let me read you another one. 52, Isaiah 52 only read verse 7. This is quoted in Romans. You've probably heard it. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of the herald who proclaim peace, who brings good news, who proclaims salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. Remember, we sandal ourselves with the gospel of what? Peace. And then finally, Isaiah chapter 11, 4 through 6, talking about the future coming of Jesus Christ. But he will judge the poor righteously and execute justice for the oppressed of the land. And he will strike the land with discipline, a rod, literally a sword from his mouth. And he will kill the wicked with a command from his lips. Righteousness will be a belt around his loins. Faithfulness will be a belt around his waist. I don't think this is up there, but this is great. The wolf will lie with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. Peace, peace. Man, what an amazing thought that we have been given this armor. Now, I got to run through this in just a few minutes, and I want to give it to you as, 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 as best I can and try to talk through what all of these pieces of equipment are. The first one is truth like a belt. Truth like a belt. Obviously, you get the belt imagery. Truth in Ephesians chapter 1 and also in Ephesians chapter 2 are talking about the gospel. That I gird my loins, that's literally what belt means there. I gird, I, I get ready to stand and resist with the gospel. The gospel, the idea that I was, I was a sinner separated from God. My sin earns me death and it earns me eternal condemnation. Jesus Christ came to this planet and died for me and three days later rose again and I have put my faith and trust in him. The idea that I stand there constantly preaching to myself the gospel. When's the last time you told yourself the gospel? The good news, the truth of Jesus Christ. Somebody asked me the other day, hey, why do we do communion every Sunday? Get that question a ton. It's because... It reminds us of the gospel. It reminds us of what Jesus Christ has done for us. I, I, I love the idea that, man, daily I, I've got to remind myself that I am who I am only by the grace of Jesus Christ. The truth of the gospel. Wrap it around us. The belt, he says. The second one is righteousness like armor on your chest. Romans 3 says there's no one righteous. No, not one. And then just a few verses later, he says that we have righteousness, but it's by our faith in Jesus Christ. 
that I have a righteousness, but it's not my own. The righteousness I have is because when Jesus Christ died, he gave me his righteousness. And that's a sermon all on itself, right? Listen to these words in, in Ephesians 4, 24. He says this, put on the new self, the one created according to God's likeness in righteousness and purity of the truth. Remember we talked about it. Put off the old. Put on the new. And the new is our righteousness in Jesus Christ. That is the new man. Righteousness for us is this moral integrity. Trying to become more and more like Jesus Christ. That is how I put the breastplate of righteousness on. I stand with the truth of the gospel. I have this put on of the new man of righteousness that that I am. The third one. And your feet should be sandaled with readiness for the gospel of peace. Man, there's so much here. I really think this is the only offensive weapon we have here. Here's the reason why. We are proclaiming the gospel which is to people who are dead, alone, dying under the authority of the prince of the power of this age. And we proclaim that there is life, that we proclaim that there is freedom. We proclaim that there is peace. We proclaim that there is a better king, King Jesus And so as we proclaim the gospel, we are helping rescue people from the upside down, from the hostile powers of an unseen realm. We are doing that. Can I just say this? We far too often see people as enemies rather than victims. If everyone's your enemy, we fail to see that there is a victim. And the victim is that these spiritual rebels are seeking to steal and to kill and destroy and to take them forever. It's not flesh and blood who is our enemy. We go with the gospel to bring peace. Ephesians 2, the dividing wall of hostility has been torn down. I could go on more. I I just got to keep moving. Next one. Verse 16, in every situation, take the shield of faith, and with it you'll be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. I I don't, listen, clearly we're all good here, right? Everybody with me that the, the spiritual rebels of this world are here to attack us. Flaming arrows, set stuff on fire. You get that, right? I don't need to give any more language to that. He says we have a shield of faith that extinguishes all of those arrows. That's pretty cool. Like none slip through. All of them are extinguished. I could get into all the stuff about how shields were made and all that. Listen, here's the deal. Shield of faith. What does that mean? Does that mean I just believe these certain beliefs that I have about Jesus? No. The word faith is the word faithfulness. Faithfulness. Loyalty, allegiance, fealty, faithfulness. When I take on the shield of faith, I am saying I am loyal, I am allegiant 
I pledge my fealty to Jesus Christ. And when the enemy attacks, I am saying, no, 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 no. I'm not following you. I'm following him. Allegiance. Fealty. Loyalty. Because that's what would be on the front of that shield, wouldn't it? The symbol of who you're fighting for. Who are you fighting for? Who are you fighting with? I think the ability for us to say, man, I am with Christ. 17, the helmet of salvation. The word salvation is the idea that we have been saved. We are saved. I set it on my head. And I know that Ephesians 2, 6, 7, 8, and 9 are all true. That I have been saved by grace. I have been saved by the work of Jesus Christ. I am saved. And right after that, guess where he seats us? In the heavenlies with Christ. When I stand there with the helmet of salvation on, I'm not standing there wishy-washy. I'm standing there with a new identity and a new uh, creation. I'm standing there with a new purpose. I have been rescued. I am saved. And then finally, in the sword of the Spirit, which is God's word. Um, The devil is a liar, and he tries to pervert God's word. He tries to distort it. And if it truly is a, a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path, if it truly is that, that if we hide it in our heart, we won't, it'll help us not to sin against him, then man, the word of God is abs- absolutely crucial to our continuing to battle and to stand and to resist. Now, watch this. I'm going to take all the armor imagery out. No armor imagery now. You ready? Just going to say the words. Truth, righteousness, gospel of peace, faith, salvation, the word of God, prayer. I hadn't even gotten to yet. I'm running out of time. Prayer. Like when you take all the armor imagery out, guess what? This is just normal Christian behavior. I know know you're like, man, are we passing out like holy water at the end and and like this chanting stuff? Listen to me, man. You might find that in the Bible somewhere, but that's not the way Paul says we go about it here. You know how he says we go about it here? An obedient Christian life. An obedient Christian life. I love Michael Heiser. He says this about this passage. He says, Paul's description of how he fights the strongholds of darkness include neither exorcism nor efforts to evict territorial spirits. There is no confrontation of supernatural powers among his personal strategy. Spiritual warfare is being a faithful disciple, he says. Spiritual warfare is about leading a life obedient to Jesus, following his obedient example for the cause of God's vision for a kingdom on earth. Now, I know we want to spend our time talking about can Christians be demon-possessed and what about these kind of... Listen, man, we spend a lot of our time focused on the wrong thing on this deal. What would it look like for us 
to live an obedient Christian life. Reading his word, praying, reminding ourselves of the gospel, proclaiming the gospel, being allegiant to Jesus. What would that look like? Right? I know, man, it takes all the, all the kind of zip out of it, and it's like anticlimactic now, right? But listen, wouldn't it be a whole lot easier if he said, hey, repeat this, sprinkle this, and you'll be good? Which one's harder? Which one's harder? Which is the reason why we struggle. So I'm done here. You ready? Um, I think what Radius does best isn't what we do here on a Sunday morning. I think what we do best is sitting around the table or across the table from you and saying, hey, how can I help you take your next step? How can I help you read your word? How can I help you memorize scripture? How can I help you do those things? How can I help you proclaim the gospel? How can I help you do that? And I, I make that offer a ton, but I tell you, man, there are resources upon resources. If you're saying, you know, I, I don't know where to start, love to meet with you. Love to. I, I, I don't... How do I get into a group where we, we talk about spiritual things? Man, we'd love to help you out there on what this looks like to be a normal, obedient Christian life. That's what we want. I'll read the back end of it. Pray at all times in the Spirit with every prayer and request. Stay alert in this with all perseverance and intercession for all the saints. And then he says, pray for me as well. Let's pray now. Oh, Father, um, hard to imagine that you have equipped us with your armor, with, with your righteousness. You've equipped us with your truth. You've equipped us with the gospel, you've equipped us with your word, you've equipped us with this ability to do what I'm doing right now, and that's to come boldly before the throne of grace and pray. You, you have equipped us with the, uh, the faith to be faithful to you, to be loyal to you, you have equipped us with this. And so, Lord, I, I pray that we would not let this all just be Christianese or Bible language and walk out the door, but Lord, that um, we would be mindful of the fact that there is an unseen spiritual world with hostile beings who want to take us and everyone else out. Jesus, thank you for winning the war. Stand with us in the battle. Jesus, as we come and take this this bread and this juice that reminds us of the sacrifice that was made so that you could rescue us from the grip of darkness and shame the powers of this world. I pray that that would be encouraging to us and honoring to you. Yeah. Yeah, Jesus, thanks for your goodness. Help us, Lord, to be obedient to you and walk with you. And to put on this, this amazing armor that you've given us.
We love you. It's in your son's name. Amen.